What a great way to start a new year as a church family with the testimony of baptism and uh, the gathering together as a family. We're certainly excited to be back with you. Uh, We had a a wonderful trip to go see uh, Melissa's family and celebrate Christmas with them, but uh, it is always, always uh, good to come back and to celebrate with our church family and to be here with all of you. This morning, I would ask if you would please turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a text this morning in a, maybe a little bit different light than what you have uh, maybe grown accustomed to seeing it in. Um, not that we're changing the meaning, just looking at it from a, from a different angle than, than maybe normal. We're doing this in light of a new sermon series, a short sermon series on, that we've entitled One Body. It's a look at church membership. What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? What does it mean to be a part of the body uh, and to be a part of this thing that God has put together for our good and our benefit um, and for the expansion of his kingdom? And so we're going to be looking at that the next few weeks. Uh, you have started in Sunday school class, I hope, uh, the last couple of weeks in James, uh, and hope that you have uh, enjoyed that. I hope you're looking forward to that as uh, you look at that very practical book of how do we live differently in light of the gospel, um, and hope that you're joining us in the reading. Uh, the, we have the readings out on the table or on our website that you can go to, and through the week, Monday through Friday, you can read along in the readings that are coming for Sunday school as well as the readings that are coming for the sermon. We hope that you'll join us for that. Also, we have uh, the James books. Uh, if you would uh, like some further help in that study as well, we hope that uh, you'll come talk to us about one of those as well. But as I said, this, this week we start this sermon series on membership. What does it mean to be a family Um, And we start by looking at how Christ looks at the church. How does he, when when God looks at his people gathered together, what is he thinking? What is he doing? What has he done? What is he going to do? And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to try to stop in verse 32. I have a a way of reading 33 as well, but we're going to try to stop in 32. Lord says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we are thankful 
Lord, and we're thankful for the testimony of your grace and of your salvation that we have already seen through baptism. We are thankful that we have this opportunity to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ and to lift up your name in song. Lord, that we have this opportunity to come together to encourage one another and love one another. Father, we pray. Lord, we pray that as we look at at this passage in Ephesians, as we look at your word this morning, that that you would light in us a, a fire and a desire for the church, for her as an institution, for her people, and for those that are not yet part of her. Father, we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this passage together, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about in this entire chapter the idea of submitting and serving others. That's the principle that undergirds this entire chapter And he talks about several different relationships. He talks about the relationship between husband and wife. He talks about the relationship between parent and child. He talks about the relationship between boss and employee. Um, And in all of them, he's trying to help us to understand how the work of Christ in our lives impacts those individual relationships. But as we look at the first of those, the relationship between husband and wife, Paul is careful to help us understand that there is more going on here than maybe first meets the eye. You look at verse 31, and it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That that word there that he's, that he's given is a quotation from Genesis, from the very beginning, where God creates man and woman and then brings them together and, and marries them together. And God gives this command that that is the way that it should be, that it ought to be. And we see that God does this for practical reasons in part, that there are Things like that man should not be alone, that it's good for him to have a physical companion to live life with. We see that it's for procreation. We see that it's a helpmate. All these other things that that God creates marriage to be. But what we also see is that inside of that, God is not just giving us a practical thing in creating marriage, but he is also giving us a representation of something spiritual. And this is something that he does fairly often. We have the ark was given to be a practical thing, right? He tells Noah to build the ark because the waters are coming and God wants to save a remnant. But in 1 Peter, we realize that the ark is also an incredible representation of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, We have the law. There's practical parts of the law in the Old Testament about hygiene and cleanliness and all these other things. But there's also this great picture of God's holiness in all things, in all aspects of our life that's important for us to see. We see the temple that God gives as a place of worship, and yet the temple itself is a symbol of heavenly things, Hebrews tells us. And so there's all these times that God gives practical things that are also spiritual pictures that we can better understand. And Paul says marriage is no different. After quoting Genesis, he says this, this mystery, 
Not meaning something that has been unable to understand, but something rather that has been hidden up to this point. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it, what, marriage, that I'm saying that marriage refers to Christ and the church. Paul wants to make it super clear here in this passage in chapter 5 that while he is talking about the relationship between a husband and wife, that we should not miss the fact that marriage is primarily, I would say, intended to be seen as the relationship between God and his people. That all marriage is intended to be a picture of how much Christ loves the church and how the church serves Christ. That's an important thing for us to think about. It's an important thing for us to think about when God talks about how much he cares about marriage and he gives parameters for it and he gives stipulations for it and he gives he gives increasing importance to it even as scripture carries along we see a picture of this by the way in Hosea God uses the marriage of Hosea to show God's love for his people and so Paul wants us to see some things here not just in how a husband is to treat a wife though that is important But Paul also intends for us to see in this passage how the marriage relationship is a picture of what Christ has done for us and what he's done for the church at large. First, see that Christ chose the church. Christ chose the church. He went and found her. We go lots of different places. We can go to Ephesians chapter 1. Where we are predestined. We can talk about uh, Jesus in the, in the Gospels where he tells the disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. But Jesus looks throughout all of human history and he has drawn people to him that he may bind them together, not by the will of man, but by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. He has chosen the church Just as a groom chooses his bride, that he may lavish her with love. And truly, that's the first thing that we see here. Christ chooses the church, and so we should see his love for the church. Go to verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Skipping down to verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. God desires for us to see in the marriage relationship an extreme amount of love from a husband towards a wife because it is meant to be a picture of the unconditional love that God bestows upon the church. That he has chosen the church that he may lavish his love upon it, upon her. And he has done everything in his power to put that love on display. And again, he does it unconditionally. He does it as though as one loves himself. That's how the husbands are commanded to love. Love your wife as you love yourself. I don't know about you, but I love me some me. I love me some me. Like if my my eyes see 
Oreos and milk, I don't care what the calories on the back of the package say. I love me some me, and I'm going to have some Oreos, and I'm going to enjoy it, okay? Not only that, okay, not only that, but I love myself so unconditionally that if my body fails me, I continue to give it things that it likes. For example, if my body fails me after eating spicy wings, I don't look at my body and say, you failed me. You caused me great pain and great discomfort. No longer will I feed you. That, that thought never goes through my mind. In fact, the next time I see spicy wings, the fact that my body failed me does not go through my mind. The thought that goes through my mind is, I would like some spicy wings. I love me unconditionally. I don't put limits on it. That's the way that I was called, that I am called to love my wife. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm called to love her unconditionally. And here's the thing. I'm called to love her that way because that's the example that, the, that Christ, that God has set for me with the church. He doesn't look at the church and go, you failed, I'm done with you. He doesn't look at the church and go, you've disappointed me, I'm done with you. He doesn't look at the church and say, well, you haven't done your job well enough, so I'm going to take that away from you. Rather, God looks at the church and he lavishes his love upon her. So we see his love. We also see his sacrifice. Going back to verse 25 there, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Going back to verse 23, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. We see not only the unconditional love that Christ has for his church, that he has lavished upon her, that he pours out on the church over and over again. We see the sacrifice that he has made. We see the sacrifice most clearly in the cross, obviously, that he stepped out of heaven and lived a perfect life and then voluntarily went to the cross that he may suffer and die for your sins and my sins, that we could have life, that he won a victory in the resurrection that we could not win on our own, and now he offers that to us. Out of his own sacrifice, he offers us life and blessing and eternity that we could never have reached on our own. And he says, join me in this. I love you. Join me in this. We see that sacrifice that he's given. It's not just on the cross. He's, think about what he gave up to get there. This is... Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who John chapter 1 says that he was in the beginning, he was with God and he was God, that all things were, that were created were created through him. 
This is God in the flesh, and he chooses, God chooses at that point in human history to step out of the glory of heaven, to step out of the praise of heaven, to step out of the perfection of heaven, dare I say, to step out of the comfort of heaven, and to be born in a manger, to wrap himself in in human flesh, and to be born in a manger to poor parents not to some grand festivities, that, that a party that we might imagine, but to be greeted by animals and shepherds. Knowing, knowing that when he did so, that he would experience pain and suffering and grief and loss and temptation just like we do. He gave up all of that so that he could come to do all of those things so that he may die for us. God himself, in a selfless act, steps back so that he may push the church forward. Husbands, when we are called to love unconditionally, we are called to sacrifice for the church the way that Christ sacrificed. Yes, that means that we are to be willing to protect our wives, to protect our families, even at times at the cost of our own life. But even more than that, I would submit that we are called as husbands to at times take a selfless step back to push our children and our, particularly our wives forward that they may receive what they need. Because it's a picture of what Christ has done for his church. He has loved his church. He has sacrificed for his church. He has care, he has given care and has desires for his church. Go back with me to the word. It says that he has given himself up for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus has not only loved unconditionally his church, he has not only sacrificed for his church, but he continues to care for his church. He washes her, he clothes her, he sanctifies her. It's a big word that just means that God is constantly in the process of making us holier and holier and holier. He's in the process of getting rid of the things in our life that should not be there and replacing them with good things. He does this over and over and over again because he cares. He's loved, he's sacrificed, he's cared for because he has desires and purposes for the church. He says that he has cleansed her He has cleansed her, he has washed her, he has clothed her. Why? So that she would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Holy and without blemish. My mind kind of ventures at this point to the story of Esther. If you don't know the story of Esther, it's in the Old Testament. I encourage you to go read it. But Esther 
tells the story of a young lady who becomes queen. But in the beginning of that story, the king of Persia is looking for a new wife. We're not going to go into why he was looking for a new wife, but he's looking for a new wife, and they gather a bunch of young ladies together, and they put them in a house, so to speak, and an individual is set over them. And that individual is basically given a blank check, give them anything they want, the best food, the best makeup, the best clothes, the best spa treatments, you name it, these girls get it. So that when they come before the king, they are as beautiful as humanly possible, that they present their best self, and then the king chooses, and he ultimately ends up choosing Esther. The same way Christ has sacrificed, he has cared for, he has washed, he has sanctified the church that she might be the most beautiful thing imaginable. Now, that's an ongoing process. If you've been a part of a church for 24 hours or longer, then you know we're not there yet, okay? We're still in need of some scrubbing. Our hair needs combs, okay? A little makeup probably wouldn't hurt us, all right? The church needs sanctifying. We need cleansing. And Christ is ready and willing. He's like, come to me. I'm going to make you beautiful beyond imagination. Why? Because he has a desire for her that when he comes again, that she is ready. She's ready. Can you, can you imagine with me, with me for a moment we all, we all know that scene. Everyone's gathered together. The pastor's up here. The groom's up here. And he's looking at that back door with anticipation, right? Like there's a great buildup. All of the bridesmaids come in. The cute ring bearer comes in. The flower girls come in. And it's like all prelude to the big reveal. And he looks back there and the doors open up. And there is his bride. And she's in sweatpants and a hoodie and fur boots, with a messy bun, and her makeup looks like a kindergartner did it. The disappointment there is overwhelming, right? Because he's like, I left you alone. I gave you time so that when those doors opened, everybody's mouth goes, wow, she's beautiful. Christ came and he died and he presented he said I want to live with the church forever she is my bride she is my everything I, and so I'm going to give you some time I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you to prepare a home for us that we can live there forever so that when he returns in all of his glory not in a manger this time but with a crown and with a white robe and on a horse in all of his mighty as king of kings and lord of lords that when he arrives the church is ready and he is doing everything to make sure that happens and in his power and in his presence it will there will come a day when the world looks at the church and says wow she's beautiful this is the care and the love and the sacrifice and the desire that Jesus has for the church. And here's the crazy thing. In the same way Christ desires to choose you. He desires to give you unconditional love. He has sacrificed for you. He cares for you. He has desires and purposes for you. And to make you part of the body. 
to not save you just as an individual, but to save you as an individual and then bring you into the church. So all these things have been lavished on you as well. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond to this work of Christ towards the church and towards us as individuals? Well, I think it's important for us to understand that our response is to him first. My prayer is this morning that just as I talked with the the kids about just a moment ago, my prayer is, is that if you hear this message this morning and you hear of a Christ who loves you unconditionally, who doesn't care about your past, who has paid all of those debts, who desires for you to come and to live with him, this Christ who has sacrificed, who has died for you, this Christ who cares for you, who provides for you, this Christ who is a king and a Lord and a leader that you can follow who has a purpose and a desire for your life, that you hear that message and that you would desire that. That you would desire him. Our response should be the same response of that as a wife who when she is lavished with love and care and sacrifice, her natural response should be, I want to live with that. I don't know about you guys, but my wife did not look at me and physically and say, I want to live with that. She looked at me over time and I loved her and I cared for her and I sacrificed. And somehow, by the grace of God, she was like, okay, I could do that. I could, I could live with that. How much more than our response to Jesus Christ who looks at us and who loves us and does all these things for us, and we should respond and say, I want to live with him. I want to follow him. All of me is for all of him. That's our response. But know this, and this is maybe where we get hung up a little bit. This is maybe where we get hung up a little bit. But when we say we love Christ, and when we say we choose Christ, we also choose his people. Let me say that again. When we choose Christ, we also choose his people. You cannot have one and not have the other. You cannot say that you love Christ and that you don't love the church. It would be like you coming to me and saying, hey, Brother Brian, I love you. I care for you. Like, I, we, I want to I wanna be friends. We're going we're gonna to live life together. And I'm like, great, that sounds fantastic. And then you turn around and you're disrespectful to my wife. You're rude to my wife. You ignore my wife. You embarrass my wife. If you do those things, you don't love me. You can't love me. You can't love me well. You can't say that you care about me and then treat the person that I care about the most that way. Those things, two things don't jive. John says in his first letter, he says, if you say you love Christ but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. You're a liar. If you don't love the church, if you don't love the people of the church, then you don't love Christ. 
They're both and. Because to know Christ and to know his desires and to know his passions is to know the church. So we choose Christ. We also choose his people. This means that we love them. This means that we are to love the church. I already quoted 1 John that Jesus tells us that they will know us by our love for one another. They'll know us by our love for one another. And this isn't just any kind of love. This is a love that bears all things. The church is not perfect. She's going to let you down. She's going to disappoint you. At times, she's going to have a vision that maybe you don't jive with. There's times when the church may, unfortunately, even hurt you. What relationship doesn't? We're human. But we have a love that forgives. We have a love that bears with one another. We have a love that is quick to reconcile. We have a love that looks like Christ's love for us. This means that we sacrifice. That Christ sacrificed for us has bearing on how we sacrifice for the church. That there are going to be times that we're called to more than maybe we're comfortable with. But we see what he has done. We see how he cares for the church and we want to do in kind. It means care and desire. Do you look at the church as an institution and as the individual people that make it up? And do you have compassion do you care about what happens to the church and its people? Do you have a desire for them, a passion for them? Caring about the church, choosing the church this way means that it can't be an on-again, off-again relationship. Our relationship with the church, if it is to look like Christ. And if it is to be what Christ intends it to be, it cannot be an on-again and off-again relationship. This is one of the things that drove me nuts about high school and the people that never grew up from high school. It's like they'll start seeing someone and then they're like, uh, yeah, we're taking a break. Uh, what does that even mean? Like, oh, we're back together. Oh, I thought you guys were, yeah, well, you know, we went to a party and da 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 I don't even understand that. You either love someone and you're with them or you're not. The same is true of the church. You're either in or you're out. We were talking the other day amongst some friends about how long it was between the time we started dating and the time we got married or engaged. And I just kind of chuckled to myself because I can remember talking with Melissa. At this point, we've been talking not super long, maybe a couple of weeks, and I remember looking at her through a computer screen because that's the only way we really could communicate and saying, look, I'm 29. I don't have time, nor do I have the desire to just date. We're either getting married or we're not. And as soon as you don't see that as a possibility, we need to pull the plug. I can't imagine how that was received on her end, but apparently it went better than it should have. Like, I'm like, you're either in or you're out. Like, I'm, I'm too old to, to just do this. 
Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to get serious about the church. You're either in or you're out. You're either a member here or you're not. And we want visitors and we appreciate you, but there comes a point when you have to decide, am I here or am I not? Choosing the church means choosing membership. It means a commitment. It means a, loving the church means making a commitment. Just like any human relationship that we have, truly loving someone at some point requires a commitment of us to that person to say that I'm with you. In the same way, we have to come to a point at some place in our lives, if we choose Christ, we must come to the point where we come to a local body of believers and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm going to love, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to care for. Paul gives us an interesting picture of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I encourage you to turn over there just a few pages to the left. He says, in starting in chapter 12, starting in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Drop down to verse 21 if you're following along. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. When we join the church, we must understand that we are making a commitment to the body to understand that God has placed us in this place at this time with our unique gifts and talents and time and desires to be here and to be a part of this. It means that we worship together, that we come together as one body to make known the name of Jesus Christ to lift him high and to allow others to see his worth in our lives. It's so that we may come together in worship to encourage one another and to love one another, to speak for one another. I'm a big proponent of one of the questions that I get asked the most, and I completely understand because I've had times in my own Christian faith that I've asked the same question, am I truly saved? I'm a big proponent of the answer of that question is a lot easier to answer, or that question is a lot easier to answer if you're a member of a church who's, and you're active. 
Because other people are going to be looking at your life saying, I see it in you. When your faith is weak, I see your faith. I see the love of Christ in you. I see the fruits of the Spirit in you. Or I don't. What's going on, friend? We worship together that we may encourage one another, that we may uphold one another to keep each other accountable. We work together. We work together. Look at how he talks about the body and the the feet and the hands and the eyes and ears. All of the parts of the body work together for one common goal. In the same way, the church comes together. And though she looks diverse, though she looks different, though she has different parts and different uh, passions in, in terms of what we like and don't like, though she has different ways of living and talking and speaking, she comes together to accomplish the kingdom. And when something doesn't fit, and not fit maybe, but when something's not working, then the efficiency of the body is affected. It's impacted. We we do better the more of us that are involved. And don't get me wrong, church, we do well. I am thankful for the ministries that are happening in this church. And I don't, by no means do I want to discourage anyone here that, man, you're serving and serving well. But I also look around and I look at a children's ministry that God has blessed us with between 45, 55, sometimes even 60 kids on a Wednesday night. And man, the people that work our children's ministry, they are superheroes, We need more people. We just need you to come and love on kids. We've got folks that, we've got Sunday school classes that need teachers. We've got Sunday school classes that have teachers who are just doing it because no one else will. They're doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. They're doing fantastic. They're knocking it out of the park. But man, God has designed them to do something different, but they can't because they need to be here. Again, I'm not trying to discourage you, church. There's some great things happening here. There's some exciting things happening. God is desiring to work through First Baptist Church Vandalia. But let me tell you this first and foremost. We can do more. But we have to have all of us. We have to work together. Think about this for a moment. This, this thought popped in my head this week. Think about this for a moment, just to contemplate through your week. What if God gave you the talents, the skills, the desires, the abilities that he gave you, not so that you could work Monday through Friday and make a living, but so that you could serve the church, and that working Monday through Friday is the secondary thing? What if he gave you all of those things to serve in the kingdom of God, and the Monday through Friday gig that you have That's just to make all those other things possible. Because he wants you to love him, and he wants you to love the church. We worship together, we work together, we live together. Look there, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
We not, just, we not only come together on Sunday mornings to worship together. We not only come together to serve together. We come together to live together. This is why it's important to be a part, not just of the universal church, but of the local church. That we would live together. That those times of grief, that those times of difficulty, that there would be those that would come alongside of us and grieve with us and pray with us and buoy us up at the same time that there would be those the times of rejoicing that are made greater that are amplified because we have brothers and sisters who come alongside of us and rejoice with us the saddest birthday party is the birthday party of one right that's not a birthday party and trust me i've been there Birthday parties of one are no fun. But man, you get a crowd together and you can have some fun. Brothers and sisters, we are designed to live together. It seems like every article that I read right now coming through our news has something to do with the isolation that is being seen in younger generations. Gen Z and younger are more and more and more isolated day upon day upon day. And we're seeing it lead to depression. We're seeing it lead to grief. We're seeing it lead to all sorts of things. What do they need? They need the church. They need the church. They need to live life together with like-minded people. They need Christ and they need people that look like Christ. I'm a firm believer that if we would desire these things, that we would love the church, that we would sacrifice for the church, that we would care for the church, that we might worship together, work together, and live together, that there would be a ton of things solved. That the world would see something different, and they would desire it. We see in the media the church portrayed as an institution in a negative light. I believe that if we love the church, we sacrifice for the church, we cared for the church, that if we worship together, we work together, and we live together, they could not help but look at us and say, what is that? And how do we get it? When we do these things, in a sense, we marry the church. I said earlier that a commitment to the church, loving the church, cannot be an on-again, off-again relationship. Rather, it looks like a marriage relationship. Now, don't extend this too far, okay? There are times that God moves us, right? Like he literally tells us, hey, you got to go somewhere else. And he plants us in those other areas. And we join a new local church, still part of the universal, but we join a new local church. So it's not necessarily for life, but that's the kind of weight that our commitment to church carries. I'm picking you, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm picking you, and even when we have difficult moments, I am here. I, even if you frustrate me, and we need times of forgiveness, which we will, I am here. When God blesses and we celebrate, I am here. That's the commitment of membership. That's the commitment that Christ gives to us. I want to close with this, though. Church membership is something we grow in. 
I know hardly anybody that steps into a church and immediately is comfortable with everything. It just doesn't normally happen. I don't know anybody that loves the church perfectly from the moment of their baptism. It's something that we grow in. As we continue in our faith walk through life, we learn to enjoy the church. We learn to enjoy the church. We learn to learn more about the, the people that make up this body and their humor. We learn about their heart. We learn about their past. So thankful for the last several years that we've been working on this building. Trust me, there were times working on this building when I was stuck in small attic spaces running HVAC that I thought, can this just be over? But there are so many times that I would not give up because of the relationships that were deepened when I served alongside the church. When I learned more about the men and the women that helped with that. Or with funeral dinners, or with children's ministries, or VBSs. The more that we love, the more that we serve, the more that we dig in, the more we learn to enjoy the church. We learn to communicate. We learn to communicate. We weren't, I don't care what relationship you're in, there's going to be a time where you need to learn how the other person talks. Yes, they are speaking English, but they may not be saying the same things you are. And you need to communicate. You need to learn how to forgive. You need to learn how to offer forgiveness. You need to learn how to encourage. You need to learn how to, how to keep accountable. You need to, we need to learn all of those things. It's a growth process. It doesn't happen overnight. We learn how to serve together. It's like when you first get married and there's like all the discussions that you never thought you would have, like who's going to take the trash out? Who's going to cook? Why are you adding that much garlic? Who's going to clean the toilet? Who's going to do the laundry? Like there's all of these discussions that you have at the beginning, right? And you learn how to serve next to someone. How to live with someone. The same is true in the church. Friend, it's going to take time to figure out where your spot in all of this is. To figure out who you are in Christ and who you are in the church. But I promise you this, all of this, learning to enjoy, learning to communicate, and learning to service, all of it takes participation. You cannot just show up on Sunday morning and think all of this is magically going to fall in place. That's like eating once a week and thinking that you're going to gain weight. Or for that matter, live. That's the same, same concept here. We say we love Christ. We say we're going to follow him. Then that means we love the church. That means we love her as an institution and we love her for her people. As we close, I want to read something to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read most of it, but not the whole. But this is the standard covenant adopted by the Vandalia Baptist Church in December of 1890. My guess is, based on the records that we have, that this covenant was used from almost the foundation of our church. We just don't have the record, the paper record of it back that far. 
But this is what the founders of our church said. This is the covenant that they made with one another before God. As believers in Christ, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to work together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, its ordinances, its discipline, and doctrine, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion, to religiously educate our children, to see the salvation of our kindred and our acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our departments, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and the use of intoxicating drinks as beverage. It was written during a different time. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each and other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rule of our Savior and to secure it without delay. Friends, we are called to love the church. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for us, for me as well, is that God would give us an ever-deepening passion for what he loves, for his people, for his kingdom, and for his work, that we may do it shoulder to shoulder together that we may see the fruit of that work. My prayer is that if you, if you're sitting here and you're listening, that you would just take the next step forward. Maybe it's service. Maybe it's sacrifice. Maybe it's a commitment to Sunday school. Maybe it's a commitment to Wednesday nights or to an area of service. Maybe it's a commitment, hey, we've been visiting here a while and we've just never joined. But over that today, over these next five weeks, that the Lord would deepen your love for his people. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response this morning. But the Lord would, the Lord has spoken to us that we would now take time to respond to him. As they come up, let me pray. Father, what a wonderful and glorious thing is the church. Lord, that you have taken people from different backgrounds and different experiences, that you have done a miraculous work of salvation in our hearts, that you have brought us here. Lord, not all of us were born in Vandalia. Not all of us grew up here. Not all of us have family immediately here. But Lord, we have a church family that goes beyond all of those things. Lord, we are thankful for that. Father, we pray that in our desire to grow closer to you, that we would grow closer to one another. 
Lord, that we would be, as that old covenant says, that we would be slow to take offense and quick for reconciliation. Father, I pray. Father, I pray. Lord, give us your heart for the church. Father, we ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.